Is there anybody in the house that's excited to be here? Let me ask it, let me ask it a different way. Is there anybody in the house that's excited for Jesus? I'm so grateful you're here today, and that's not just something I say to elicit cheers. We serve a risen Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. The songs that we just sang about Him, the words that were on the screen, they're, they're just words and just a song if we don't really understand who it is we're singing to and singing about. And the fact that He is, he is on the, the throne of heaven, sitting, behind, sitting beside the, the uh, right hand of God the Father, and leaning in to listen... The Bible says, David said, as long as he bends down to listen, I am going to speak to him. The fact that he is on the throne in heaven listening to us and the Holy Spirit is with us today, helping us to give those praises. That's an exciting thing. So let me ask it again. Are you excited about Jesus? I am too. I tell you, we are rounding out the series that we've been in called Grateful, and we've been talking about the things that we can be grateful for, things that you may have thought about a lot, maybe things that you may have not quite put that kind of perspective on in our walk with Jesus Christ. And as we go into this week, specifically into Thanksgiving week, I think there's a lot of things that we can be thankful for. Sometimes a week like this, when we get into a day, specifically in the year, where we're all supposed to kind of turn our minds towards being thankful, we start to think about a lot of the things that we're thankful for. And, and sometimes, if you're like me, uh, one of those thoughts is, man, I, I should be thankful the entire year. You know, it, it kind of lets you tune into the fact that, what are some of the things that I should have been thankful for <laughs> before today? How, how many of you have plans for this week? Like you have somewhere you're going to go or something that you're going to eat that's really good. Come on, now I'm just asking questions because I'm hungry and it's almost lunchtime and I need you to kind of help. Now, how, how many of you plan to eat uh, too much? It's funny how the hands are going up, and they're not ashamed to say it. I think Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and holidays like that is the, is the several times a year isolated that you can actually say to someone, I'm going to eat too much, and somehow it's socially acceptable. <laughs> we, we, just, we just do it. But how, how many of you have something to be thankful about? Let me ask that. Yeah. Some of you are woohooing. Some of you are raising your hands. Can I, can I ask another question? How many of you have something in your life Maybe it's happening right now. Maybe it has happened. And it's something that you would say, you know what, I'm not really thankful for that. I want you to think about that for a minute because if, 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 if we're all human beings in the room, the fact is, is that we have trouble in life. And if we all have trouble in life and it's common for us to have hurts and, and hang-ups here, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that with a room this size, some of us aren't going through some things that we're battling with right now. And so the question then becomes for today's topic is, how do we stay thankful when we're supposed to be giving thanks even when times are hard? That's, that's really the question. So the, the, the question I have for you is, how do you stay thankful even when times are hard? How, how, how do we navigate that? I think it's first important to understand what we're supposed to be thankful for. Everybody say, hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. All right. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, because I, I really want to zone in on what we're supposed to be thankful for and what we're not. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, he's talking to the church, and this is what he says. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. You may feel like doing that today. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But he says this, always giving thanks to God the Father for, what's the word? For everything. Say it again. For, for what? Everything. Say it one more time. For what? 
everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just got to say, sometimes we don't feel like giving thanks for certain things in our lives. In fact, it's the opposite. We don't even feel like we're supposed to because it's easy to give thanks for things that make us feel good. But he said, he said, give thanks to God for everything. And I know specifically that there are families in our church body right now that are dealing with heartache. They're dealing with things that are shaking them, uh, the very core of who they are. And, and you may be going through something like that now. And, and I just kind of ask the question with you, how, how are we supposed to give thanks during times like that? Because I'm going to be honest, even the best of us, given the right set of circumstances, would, would battle with that. How are we supposed to give thanks? I mean, I can, how are we supposed to survive it? Let's ask that question first. How, but, but now we're going to ask how are we, we're supposed to give thanks during that? You know, I, one thing I know is that in the middle of our pain, and, and I don't feel this all the time, but, but I know this, even in the middle of our pain, God's word is still true. It's still worthy of being obeyed. And, and if that's the case, then we're capable of giving thanks and everything. We're capable of it. You're, you're capable of doing it. And so the question is, how? <laughs> how? Because we, we can talk about things that we're thankful for all day long, but that, that's really not difficult. So if I'm going to preach to you about something that's relevant, and I'm going to talk about something that's relevant to me and that's relevant to you, I'd like to spend the next few minutes of our time together talking about how to do what this verse says and give thanks for everything, even when we're going through difficult times. So can, can I do that? I want to talk about four keys to doing that today, and I'm going to jump right in. The first one is this. When you're going through hard times, focus on God instead of the circumstances. Now, we all know that's easier said than done, and it's the first one, and it kind of sounds like a cliche. I'm just going to be completely honest with you, especially whenever you're going through a hard time. It's easier said than done because we all know we have circumstances that hurt, and what we really want is for our pain to go away, not to give thanks for them. That, isn't that what we really want? We, we really just want for our pain to go away, not to actually do what this verse says and give thanks for them. But I think we need to understand something about struggles and something about pain. I think the very first thing we need to understand is that Jesus said that we would go through them. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble because this is earth and this is not heaven. This is an imperfect world. This is not the perfect heaven. So he was very clear. He said, you're going to have trouble. Not if, when. You're going to have trouble. But then he followed it up with this. He says, but you can take heart because I've overcome every bit of it. And now that's an eternal mindset. That's not a temporal mindset. It's one that's focused on, on what God has accomplished for us and what we're moving towards in heaven. He's overcome every bit of this. So eventually, no matter what happens to you in this life, heaven is still a reality and God still has your back. He's overcome every bit of this. Paul in the Bible, he, he was a man that started lots of churches in the New Testament. We read about him. And a lot of the New Testament is, is, uh, are letters, most of which he wrote. And he's writing to these churches, encouraging them. And we get a lot of the instruction God gave us through this man, Paul. And, and he's writing and he's talking about his life and he's talking about to this specific church and to us today about the struggles that he went through. And it's interesting when he begins to focus on God instead of the circumstances, it's interesting how he describes his, his trouble, his, his struggles. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, listen how he describes them. He said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I just want to describe a few of his troubles for you, if you don't mind. Homelessness, starving at times, beaten and persecuted for his faith, put in jail, wrongfully accused. At one point, he was stoned and left for dead. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out outside the city and left him there, and he, he revived. 
This, these are the kind of troubles that he went through. And he, how did he get to the place where he's called them light and momentary? I, I don't get it because there are some times where my, I have a toothache and there's no way I would call it light and momentary. I'm like crying and I'm considered a baby, you know, but yet this guy can face all these, these troubles and trials that I just described to you, most of which none of us have ever even thought about facing. And he's calling them light and momentary. I, I mean, was he insane? Because he was either right or he was insane. I don't think there's any middle ground with this. He either understood something that we struggle with and he was right or he was completely out of his mind. He did something. He focused on what God was doing with his circumstances, not on the circumstances themselves. Did you know that God's doing the same for you? He, he said our, our struggles are light and momentary, but he didn't end there. He said because God is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs these. It wasn't that he just went through it and said these are light and they don't hurt. He was comparing it to something. And as long as you only zone in on your circumstances, that's all that exists in your life until you begin to compare it to something else, something far greater than your circumstances, and that is God's word and what he's accomplished for you in eternity. And he said, oh, when I think about that, when I compare it to that, the troubles just don't seem as big anymore. It's all in the power of comparison. Jesus said, listen, he said, I, you're going to have trouble. He's saying, but I'm taking notice of every trouble that you go through. And, and the way that you endure as a Christian is what makes the difference for you. And the reward that God has for you far outweighs the hurts that seem horrible and even seem pointless, that we can't even wrap our brain around why God would even allow us to go through some of the things that we do. There are families in this very church that have lost uh, loved ones that went way too soon. Families in this very church that are dealing with sickness in their children that they don't know what the outcome is going to be. There, there's families in this very church that are struggling in marriages and they don't know if they're going to last. There's big question marks on it because they're trying to sort through it and figure it out. And, and what I know is this, there are troubles that God said we would have because this is earth and, and, and we don't have perfection here. We're not perfect people, so we make choices and, and those choices sometimes lead us down paths where we have hurts and habits and, and, and hang-ups. But Jesus said, I, I notice it. And if you trust in me and focus on me and don't just focus on what you're going through, you're going to see a bigger picture. And when you do, you'll be able to understand that what you're going through is very achievable through me. I notice it. You need to know this, those blessings that God has, he, want, he's, he has for you. And they're going to come. But interestingly enough, the word says that you don't have to wait for heaven to get them. You, you can have them right here. He wants to take your troubles and he actually wants to do something with you and with the things you go through right here on this earth while you're still here. I want, can I talk about what that is? That same guy, Paul, that said our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us this eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He actually was writing to another church, and this is what he said about his sufferings. He said, you know, we also glory in our sufferings. The word actually means we boast. We boast in our sufferings, <laughs> already understanding the kind of sufferings that he went through. He says, because we know that suffering produces something. It produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Isn't it interesting that what we really want is to get out of the troubles that we face? We, we don't want to face them anymore. 
And the hope that we have is that the trouble will go away. And Paul is saying right here that, no, it's actually the trouble, if we face it the right way with God and focus on him, that brings hope. He says the, the, the trouble, when we focus on God, actually brings perseverance and patience in us, which builds character in our lives, which actually produces hope in us. And he says the hope that I'm talking about, it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame. In other words, when, when I say a hope that I have because of this, it's not going to shame us later by proving to be untrue. It will come to pass. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and he's been given to us. Now, I'm not saying we should be glad we have problems, but this is what I'm saying, is that when we understand the result of what God wants to do through our struggles, we can be glad for where the problem will take us. And I think sometimes we just get a little bit too focused on the problem, and we never actually get to the point where we actually begin to understand even just a little bit what God might be wanting to do. We focus on the problem, and we don't, we don't focus on what God might want to be wanting to be do through the problem. That means that everything we go through, God, he, he wants to use it to make us better. Have you ever seen two people going through the exact same situation? Maybe at the same time, or maybe, you know, differently uh, in terms of different timing, but one of them succeeds and the other one fails. One learns and the other one doesn't. One gets better and the other one gets, gets bitter. You know, you know the only difference in, in the two is how they deal with the problem. The problem is the same, but how they deal with the problem is different. And you are capable of looking back over your lifetime and saying, I'm better because of what I went through. I, I'm actually a better person because of what I went through. I think differently than I used to. Man, before I went through that, I was thinking a different kind of way. But because I leaned into God and he showed me things. And man, was it hard. It was painful. But I'm standing here today looking back going, man, I'm, I'm glad. I, I don't want to do it again, but I'm glad I went through it. Because without that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Does anybody, can anybody understand what I'm saying? He wants to actually take what you do and what you go through and make something good out of it. Hear God say, I, I don't want you to give up during your hard time. I want you to do something better. I want you to grow up. I want to give you an opportunity for me to sand you and shape you, and it, it doesn't feel good. In fact, it hurts. But he's saying, I'm giving you the divine opportunity to get on the other side of that and look back and know that I was there and know that I did something great in your life that you couldn't have done without it. And you do that by choosing to focus on God and not the circumstances. Second key, everybody say number two. Number two, ask God what? instead of why. Man, when we get into, into trouble, we want to know why it's happening. I, I have a 15-year-old son, almost. He'll be 15 on the 29th, and he knows pretty much everything. In fact, just by being around him, I've realized just how little I know and how much he knows. It's, 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 it's amazing, but he asks why about everything. He challenges what I tell him in my reasonings because he just knows so much. I, what I should do is be in awe of his presence every time I'm around him. Um, but he comes and he asks why. God, why? He asks why. Why do I have to clean the kitchen this way? Or, or why do I have to go to bed this early? Or, or why can I play my Xbox a little bit longer? Why do I have to show you my phone anytime you want, Dad? I'm, why? 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 And, and the fact is, is that He's really not asking why because he wants to hear my answer. And the reason is because I don't have an answer that's going to satisfy him. <laughs> nothing, nothing I say. My reasoning for, for telling him these things, he's not going to get it. What he's really wanting to do when he asks me why is he's wanting dad to change something to make him feel better about what he's doing. He wants me to change something so that, so that it kind of goes a way that satisfies him. He's really looking for me to change my mind. He's really looking for me to change 
his circumstances. And nothing I have is going to satisfy him. I remember one time I looked at him and I was like, look, I've been sitting here trying to explain this nicely to you for about five minutes. Now I just need you to do it because I said so, you know? And, and, and that's, that's really the kind of ace card that parents have. If you ever wanted to know why your parents ever said, because I said so, that's why. It's not because they don't have an answer. It's because you're just not going to get the answer that they have. And, and I think that's what we do whenever we come to God. I think that's what we do when we come to him with our hurts and we start to ask why. We really don't want the answer because there's no answer that will satisfy us. I mean, if you think about the pain you, you've had to go through or the pain you're enduring now, is there any answer that God could give you or anybody that would make you go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm going to go through this pain and this trial of my life. I'm, I'm okay with the cancer because of that. I mean, what answer could God give you that would make you think that's okay? That there's no answer that will satisfy you. What we really want God to do when we ask him why, can I just get in, get in your grits for a minute and step on your toes? What we really want God to do is change our situation so we don't have to hurt anymore. That's what we really want. And so when we ask God why, 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 we're just wanting him to make us stop hurting. But what if that's not what God's wanting to do? And that's a hard question, but... What if God wants to let the hurt keep going because he wants you to do something in you through the hurt? I think about Jesus and the world he lived in and the world we live in. Do you, you think Jesus ever was hurt? You think he ever had to go through a time on earth where he was lonely? He ever go through a time where he was misunderstood or criticized publicly or treated unfairly or abandoned by people that he thought was going to follow him or be with him? Do you ever think he felt emotionally painful or pained physically? I look at that and I'm thinking, yeah, of course he did. Well, did, G did God use all of that pain for the good, eventually for all of us? So even if, if, if Jesus even had to go through that, then why do we think that we're any different? That somehow we, we're not supposed to feel pain? I... <laughs> I know this, God loves you more than you can imagine, and he's got this amazing plan for your life. But before you fulfill that plan, and before the blessings that are associated with that come into your life, and you're able to receive that and walk through it, and I'm not putting a name with those things because I don't know what they are for you. But I know this, before God gives that to you and before you walk in that plan, you have to grow up to be the kind of person that can handle that. And God does it through pain. Because he likes to give you pain? No. But it's because during the pain are the times that we reach out to him and we let him shape us and change. So instead of asking, why me? We need to be asking, what? What, what do you want me to do through this? What is it that you want from me? What are you trying to teach me, God? Am I missing it? I, I don't know the answers right now, but I just, what? What, what do you want to teach me? What blessings are you wanting to bring me through this? I don't know what they are. I, I can't comprehend why all the time. I'm not even going to ask that. I just, I just need to know what. What do you want me to do from here? What is my next step? This is a hard question, and maybe you might have trouble asking, but, but it's this. What am I holding on to that you want me to let go of? What, what mindset do I have that I need to change? What, what hurt am I grasping on out of principle because they did that to me that I need to let go of. What, what is it that you want me to let go of? His desire in your pain is to eventually make you the most joyful person that you've ever been, and that always comes after a season of growth. Every time. 
And that's his plan for you. And that's, that's hard to grasp, because I'm going to say it again so we all understand that. His desire is to make you the most joyful person that you have ever, ever been, and that always comes after a season of growth. Now, what we want to do is say, God, if you'll zap me with it, that would be better. <laughs> you know, if you'll just make this go away, I'll be joyful. But that's not how it works. God wants to make you uh, more joyful than you've ever been in your entire life. And he's going to do that through shaping you through seasons of hurt. It always comes after seasons of growth. So if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with that plan, if that, that model of doing things, I want to remind you a couple of things about God's plan for you that you need to know. First, God's plan is better than your plan. <laughs> His ideas are always bigger than yours are. His ideas are always better than yours are. And I think we would all at least admit that because he's all-knowing and we're not. He's perfect and we're not. So stop limiting what he wants to do in you through this painful time in your life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says that with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than we could ever ask or even think of. You can't even begin to imagine sitting right here today in your pain what it is that God wants to do in you because your brain's not capable of it. You, you don't even know the blessings that God wants to bring into your life. Everyone that I know follows God this way, looks back, and they can't believe how much better their lives are. And they always say, if you'd have told me back then where I'd be now, I never would have believed it. God's plan for you is better than your plan. His plan is also harder than your plan. You know what that means? That means if he told you what it is now, you'd never say yes to it. <laughs> you'd never say yes. But if, if he's going to lead you one step at a time, and you're going to have questions that have no answers, and you're going to have to step out in faith, and things aren't going to feel good, it's going to be hard. But he's going to be with you the whole way. Our goal as humans is to slip through as minimal pain as possible. That's what we want to do. And God says this, I care more about your character than I do about your comfort. I, I, I'm not interested in your comfort. Anybody can be comfortable by being complacent. He says, I'm more interested in building you up and making you the best you possible, making you the most joyful. His plan is hard. Listen, he, he allows difficult things to happen in our lives, and he uses them for good. And, and I love Isaiah 43, 19, because it kind of gives us a, a little picture of what God does. In, in Isaiah 43, 19, God says, I'm doing a new thing. How many of you would say, I need a new thing in my life? I need a new thing. I'm tired of the old thing. He says, I'm doing it, and it's springing up. And he asked the question, do you perceive it? Do, do you, do you, can you even understand what it is that I'm trying to do? He says, I'm making a way in the desert, this dry and ugly place, and streams in the wasteland. And he's talking about this picture where he's turning something dry and barren and, and where there's nothing growing, and he's turning it into something beautiful. Now, is it hard to do something like that in a desert? Yeah. <laughs> is God going to be changing you for the better as he does it? Yes. That's not an easy thing to do. And he describes it as taking something that's dry and lifeless and turning it around and making it something so beautiful that you've never seen it before. That's not easy. Do you think it was easy for Mary, the mother of Jesus, to say, I'll let go of my plan and say yes to yours? Was it easy for Mary to say, I'll be an unwed mother? Sign me up. You think it was easy for her to ride nine months pregnant on a donkey? <laughs> you ever been nine months pregnant? I haven't, but I'm sure uh, I, you don't want to ride in a car for three hours, much less on a donkey, okay? You think it was easy for her to say, you know what, I'll give birth in a stable with no doctor? I'll do, I, she must have wanted to ask why a thousand times? Why are you doing this? What is the purpose of this? Then you think about Joseph. You ever think he wanted to ask why? I mean, he's the guy that actually had to believe her story. 
And then he was the guy that actually had to go and tell his family and his friends what was happening. And, you know, Jesus, if you're coming to earth, God, if you're coming to earth through, through, through Jesus Christ, why, why a baby? <laughs> you ever think he wanted to ask that? Why, I mean, if you're going to come here, why not ride in on a horse, a stallion, right? A white one, just lightning bolts screaming everywhere. I'm here. Why? If you're going to come to earth, why would you come like this? Why would you have to put us through the process of trying to figure this out? Why? Here's the point. God's plan is, is better than ours, even if it's harder than ours. And that plan about Jesus, that seemed to work out, didn't it? <laughs> I'm being very facetious right now. Yes, it was the saving of our souls, of all humanity. And it proves the point that God's plan is harder than ours as to human beings. And we want to ask why, but we can ask what. God's plan is always more rewarding than your plan. That's the good news, even though it's, it's harder and it's better. It's because of that, it's more rewarding. Our, our plan that we have for ourselves always involves making us happy. <laughs> you ever notice that? Nobody makes plans to make themselves completely disgusted. <laughs> you know? We always want to be happy. That's why we, we build plans toward certain goals, and we, we want to be, have this particular house and this particular financial goals, and, and we want our kids to do this particular thing. We don't know what they'll be, but we know it's going to be something good, right? And we want, it to, we, we want it to be happy, and our happiness is always tied to a specific outcome. It's always tied to a person doing a certain thing, or it's tied to you know, a, a certain uh, a certain thing, or it's tied to a certain outcome, but those outcomes are always temporal. Well, God wants to do better than that in our lives. You know what he wants to do? He intends to bring us joy, not happiness. He intends to bring us joy, and joy is tied to what you know down deep on the inside, no matter what you see in front of you. I, I could be going through the most difficult thing in my life, but I know that I know that I know that I'm going to be okay, because my hope is not in a specific outcome, my hope is in the man, Jesus Christ, who takes all of that and he turns it for my good. And that's where my hope is. That's where my joy is. God's reward for you is joy. And what I've learned about people is that the people uh, with the greatest joy are the happiest. They are. The feelings come second. The joy comes first. And the people with the most joy are always the happiest. And I'll tell you something else. The people with the most joy are the ones that always have blessings coming their way. Is their life perfect and are they, they, they never feel pain? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying joy is something different than happiness. It, their circumstances can't affect it. It can't affect the joy on the inside. And ultimately, God's reward for you is joy. On top of that, there's something else coming that's far greater than this earth, and that's the place he's preparing for us called heaven. I love in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it, it, it kind of describes not heaven itself, but it describes kind of where we're headed. It says, that place, no eye has even seen it. <laughs> no eye, no ear has heard about it. No mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> we, we can't even begin to describe the ultimate reward that we have waiting for us. And Paul said, when we, when we think about that, Philippians says that, that that's how we stand firm while we're here on earth going through all this junk, is that we eagerly await a Savior from heaven knowing that our citizenship is not ultimately here, but it's there. And he says, we stand firm here by eagerly waiting a Savior from there. God is a reward giver, and our ultimate reward is heaven. But if you're going to find joy on the way there, while we're still here on this earth, we've got to focus on God instead of the circumstances. And we got to ask God, what? What do you want me to do? Not why. 
Third key, say number three. Decide to trust God's character while you're in the middle of your hurt or pain. You know, the fact is, is that uh, giving thanks during hard times can be like driving a car with your blindfold on. <laughs> we don't know where we're going. We don't understand the questions. We, we don't get it. But we have to decide that I can't see what God is doing in my life, but I trust who he is. I, I, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I, I, sometimes I love it when I can just go, I don't know, but I know who's holding my hands. I, I, I know who's guiding the way. I know who's been where I haven't been before, and I can trust his love for me, and I can trust the fact that he always comes through for his prom, with his promises. God's made some promises to you. Can I just give you two right now that you, maybe you want to hold on to while you're going through some hard times? Here's one. He filters every single event in the life of a Christian. If you said, I'm giving, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and I, I am walking with him, then guess what? Whatever comes your way, he either is bringing himself or he allows, and it's for your good, even if you can't see it. He filters every single event in the life of a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't that great? If you're walking with Jesus and you know your life's been given to him, Jesus said you're going to have trouble. But what it means is that the trouble's going to be filtered through God. He, he's only going to allow in your life what you can stand under and what he'll give you a way out of. He says this, your temptation is no different than anybody else's. I love that because it, it, it means that you're facing a hurt that's common. But that's not what, what you feel like. You feel like you're all by yourself. You feel like you, 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 can't, you can't do it. You feel like nobody else understands but you. And that's just simply not true. Just because you've never faced it before doesn't mean that it's not common for other people. And guess what? If it's common to everyone else, then that means there's a common solution too. And that's one of the things I love about bridge groups here at the church. If you're not a part of bridge groups, there's on your connect card, you can check bridge groups and we'll let you know. But it connects you to other people in the church. And when you're going through a difficult time, I guarantee you 100% of the time, somebody else in that group has either been where you are or they know somebody who has and can get you some help. It, it says it right here in the word. You're, the things you go through in life are no different than what anybody else goes through. Then he says this, he's not going to allow the temptation that the things in your life that hang you up to be more than you can stand. He knows what you're strong enough to handle. It, it may mean you have to step up and learn how to handle it. It may mean that he wants to do something and you to step up. But if you've given your life to God, he's not going to allow something in your life that is just going to completely devastate you. But you need him. And here's the reason why you need him, because he says this at the end of the verse, he wants to show you a way out. You know what that means? You don't know the way out. <laughs> but we have to trust God's character enough that what we're going through, he is actually going to show us a way out of. And we don't always see it because we think with, with a different set of lenses sometimes as human beings, but he is going to show you how to deal with it. So, so that's the first promise. Everything that comes into your life is filtered through God if you're a Christian and walking with him. Second promise is this. Everything that you go through is worked into a pattern for your good. Now, I'm saying these things, and I understand very, very bluntly that you don't feel this as a human being. These are things you have to believe in faith and understand with, with your spirit. But everything that you go through is worked into a pattern for good. Why? Because the Bible says it is. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, we know, say no, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them to become like his son. It may be hard to believe, but listen, when you trust God's character, you get to look back one day and say this, I know he was always there for me. 
You get to look back and say, I, I don't know how he did it, but he got me through. I, I, he always came through. He never lied one time. You're able to sit in, in a place one day and say, I see the blessings in my life because of, what, because of what I went through. I never would have seen them had I had handled it the way I thought I wanted to handle it. But because I, I focused on God and not my circumstances, because I did these things, because I decided to trust God's character and not my own, because I was asking God, what do you want to do in me and shape me instead of just focusing on the pain and asking why? When you can't trust your circumstances, listen, you can trust the character of God. There's a fourth key. Say number four. There's the last one. And, and this key actually really needs to go in the front, but I saved it for last so you'd remember it the most. It's actually what makes everything else I've said possible. If we go back to that opening verse, remember the one where, where Paul said, be thankful for everything? And we all said, what? And we all got that thing in our mind that was like, why? I can't be thankful for that, you know? But he said, be thankful for everything. So it kind of put us into a tizzy. How do we do that? Well, this is what gives you the power to do it. And I actually want to go back one verse and, and read. Um, don't get really crazy on me with a, for, for the first line because I want to explain. But it says this in Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which just means sinful indulgence. He said, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Did, did, you, did you catch it? Because he's saying speaking and singing and, and doing all these things. It's not something that we're just told to do. He's saying it's a byproduct of a choice we make. And he gives you two choices right there. You know, did you catch what they are? He said, don't, don't be drunk with wine. And he's not specifically talking about alcohol here. The word is in the Greek actually means vinos, which is an intoxicating spirit of the world. Things that, that come into our lives because of our flesh that we use to intoxicate ourselves. And he talks about what the, what, the, what the result of that is. In Galatians 5, he says it's hatred and jealousy and selfishness and, and idolatry and things our flesh does easy. He's saying, don't be under the control of how the world says to deal with things. Because when you get hurt and when you get filled with pain, guess what? We don't try to sing praises and thanks, do we? You know what we do? We run to a bottle or we run to self-pity or we run to old habits, or we run to injustice gatherings, where we try to get everybody that we can around us in our way of thinking so that that other person that hurt us doesn't get the win, but we have an injustice gathering around us. That's what we do as human beings. When we get hurt and in pain, we don't run to the other thing. He's fleshly. He's saying, you're running to the spirits of the world. And he's saying, don't do that. He's saying, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. The word filled there is pleruo, and it means empowered or under the control of. He, he, and, and if you think about being filled, he's not saying, you know, be, be filled like, like a gauge, like when someone's filled with rage, they're not filled 93.2% with rage. It means they're under the control of rage. It's, it's overtaking them. And he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit and not yourself. And he's saying when you do that, he's saying the, the, the byproduct is going to be thanksgiving. But he says even more than that in Galatians 5.22. He says the fruit of the Spirit or the byproduct of having the Spirit lead in your life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
It's, it's not something you muster up because you're so good or, or something you do because you're, you're hitting one of these pretty good. He's saying when you're filled with the Spirit, the byproduct is this. How many of you could do with a little bit more of some of that in your life? How many of you could do, maybe when, when, you're, when you're hurting the worst, how many of you could do with, with a little bit of goodness and peace? And you don't know where you're going to get it because you're hurting bad and you don't know how you're supposed to give thanks, but, but the Bible says, hey, it's not about my, my desire or my willingness or my ability to muster this stuff up and fake it. He's saying when you're filled with the Spirit of God, He's the only one that can do this in you, and He's saying the byproduct is love and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Giving thanks isn't something we simply do. It's the byproduct of a choice we make. So that, that fourth key that I was telling you about, this is really what it is. To be thankful during hard times, you got to pray to be filled with the Spirit. And I would be bold enough to say, you're not going to make it with the stuff we've been talking about today. You're not going to have the goodness and the blessings and, and the results that I've been saying if you're following yourself. Otherwise, this is just good intended stuff. But where you get the power to do it, where you get the ability to do it, where, where you're able to stand when someone you love committed suicide, when, when, when you're able to stand and your spouse walks out, how? how that, that crushes people. When, when you're able to stand when you find out the bad news of a diagnosis that you didn't see coming and it came out of nowhere. Nothing you have can prepare you for that. Nothing you have inside of you can sustain you for that. The, on, the only power you have to do what we've been talking about is to actually follow the one that has the power to start with, and that is the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, if you want this type of joy, if you want to be able to sing those songs from your heart and give thanks to God and everything, then you've got to be filled with something that's different than what you have. Because if you could do it, you'd have done it already. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I ask this question, is it possible to do these things without the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I, interestingly enough, Jesus, right before he started his earthly ministry, the very first thing he did was be baptized. Great thing, the heavens opened up, God spoke and said, this is my son, I'm very pleased with what he's doing, I'm very pleased with him. Big moment, you know, big milestone here. The very next thing that happened was he went in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted and to fast. Now, if I told you right now you had to skip lunch, you'd throw rocks at me. <laughs> Do you think he wanted to go into the wilderness and be tempted like that and to fast for 40 days? No, nobody did. But it's interesting, it says, right before he went in, it said, it said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and be tempted. He did, would he have done it by himself? I don't know, but I think there's a reason why it says he was led by the Spirit. Now, we know what happened because of that. He gained the power and the ability to, to live a sinless life because of that fast. And we, we can go into the scriptures and talk about it, but I'm telling you right now, he would not have been what he was, what he was able to do having not gone on that fast. He didn't want to do it as a human, but he was led by the Spirit. You're not going to be able to, to do what God wants you to do in your hurt if you don't 
have the Spirit of God leading you on the inside. And I think about Paul, the guy that, that wrote all this stuff, that God inspired through Paul to us, and he's writing this, you know, my troubles are light and momentary compared to what, what God has. I mean, we're boasting about our struggles because they're producing something in us that we couldn't get for ourselves. And I'm like, man, this guy, when he wrote this, he must have been eating grapes with the king, sitting high. I mean, happy as a lark, just writing this stuff in hindsight for what he was going through. We don't write that stuff in the middle, right? We write it after we get done. We're looking back going, man, I'm so happy I need to tell other people about what I just did. You know what he was doing when he wrote this? He was sitting in prison, wrongfully accused, tied to his guard, waiting for the executioner to come. And he's saying, my my, my troubles are light, momentary. (laughs) And I'm thanking God for my struggles because they are producing character in me and perseverance. And 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 it's producing hope in me. And here you are sitting maybe today in the middle of your pain and you're trying your hardest to figure out how to match what he said with what you're going through and the way you feel. And it wasn't him. You gotta stop trying to do it yourself. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness is not an emotion you work up. It's one of the characteristics of being spirit-filled. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room today that would be bold enough to stop doing it yourself and just simply ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Fill me with, with, with what you said, with, with love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and patience and self-control. I need that stuff and I can't do it myself. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by the spirits of this world, but instead be empowered and under the control of the Holy Spirit of God because when you do, you're gonna find yourself speaking In a different way, you're going to find yourself making music in your heart and even giving thanks to God, maybe even in a season like this, even when times are hard. And you ask, how how do I do that? I I don't know how. I don't know the pace. He he wraps it up in Galatians 5, 25, after he says everything that you'll have with the Spirit of God. Then he says this, since we live by the Spirit, he said, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We don't have to try to figure it out. All we got to do is hold God's hand and we just got to keep in step with the way he leads us. There's a specific pace that he wants to lead for your life and he's already got that figured out. We just have to ask him. The word there, keep in step, is actually a military term that they were using here. And it was basically, if you can imagine, military marching and and kind of marching in the ranks and marching in step. Everyone's in sync. That's what he's saying. Don't march out of sync. Don't hold God's hand and try to walk this way. Don't, don't hold God's hand and say you're going to keep in step with him and say, well, I think I got a better idea and walk that way. He's saying keep in step with him even when it's hard. Keep in step with him even when you don't understand. And he makes the promise that it's going to produce these things in your life. You can't do it yourself. My question to you today as we, as we stop, and I'm, I'm stopping, I'm going to pray, is would you be bold enough to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to lead you? And our prayer team's gonna come up right now. And if any point during this prayer, if you want someone to help you pray, I want you to come up here and ask, would you pray for me? And I'm, I'm just gonna say the prayer and I wonder if you'd bow your head and, and pray with me. God, thank you for this, this day to read your word and to talk about your word. Lord, it's, it's, it's relevant to every single one of us. Every one of us go through pains and hurts. Some of us are coming out of really difficult times. Some of us are right in the middle of it and it's hard. And so my my prayer, God, right now is for those who are hurting during this season of of thanksgiving is that you would show them that they can't do it alone. That's a bold prayer, but that is my prayer. Show them they can't do it alone, God. I'm not going to stand here and and pray for happiness and for for all kinds of feelings 
because they're so empty. And at the end of the day, the issue is still there. But my prayer is that you'd show them that they need to be filled with your Holy Spirit to produce these kinds of, of fruit in life, in their lives. Ultimately, the joy that you want to bring them despite the pain. Only you can do that. We can't even wrap our brains around how you do it. So our prayer is this, fill us, Holy Spirit. Would you be bold enough to pray that prayer? He hears you right now. Someone's here to pray with you at the front if you, if you want to make your way down here to get some help praying. We, we can do that for you. Holy Spirit, fill us. We're letting go of our way of doing it and we're holding on to you. We're going to walk out of here maybe with some questions without answers, but we trust you and we trust you enough to show us. We trust your character even when we can't trust our circumstances. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in the room today and, and you, need to, you need to ask God into your life because you've never accepted him. And I'm, that's, you're not doing that for me if you do that today. That's, that's God speaking to you right now because this is what I know. You're not listening to the sound of my voice by accident, but God is in heaven right now having ordained this day for you to hear this. And he's saying, come to me. I know your name and I died for you and I love you. And today's the day that, that you need to come to me. I'm asking you once again. Would you be bold enough to say yes to him? Would you agree with this prayer? I'm gonna pray it and God hears your heart. God, I need you. I can't do this myself. If, if I could, I would have already accomplished it. I'm not perfect, but you are. And I accept your perfection in my life. I know that Jesus sacrificed for me so that I can have access to that, that worthiness of you. I know he lived sinless. I know he died on the cross for me. And not only that, but he, he raised to life. And because he's alive today, I know I, have, I can have new life in him. And I do have new life in him. I say yes to you. Be my savior, but also be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. I don't have the answers. It doesn't mean I've made it somehow, but it means that I'm aiming my heart at you. And I'm leaving my old way of doing things. And I'm walking with you. And so I just ask you to come into my life and to help me. And I know you're going to let me understand exactly what I need to understand to be able to make it exactly where I need to be. And I thank you for that. Now we just pause and we give you thanks, God. Thank you for being true to your word. And thank you for not leaving us alone. But you're walking with us. And we, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, who makes that possible. Amen.